Um, you need to open up your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. If you didn't fill out a community card today, I forgot to remind you of that in the chaos, but if you didn't fill out this community card, uh, please tear it off, fill it out, and you can just dump it on the pool table in the back uh, on your way out today. Someone will get that. The, the important part of the community card is that you let us know how we can pray for you. We, can, we pray every week for you and would love these prayer requests, so, so please do that. All right, First Peter <clears throat> chapter 1, and we're going to be starting in verse 22, and I'd like to just read this passage together before we start. In uh, verse 22, Peter says, Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation." Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Today we're continuing our series in First Peter. This is our fourth week. Last week, Aaron Savage uh, preached and did such a great job that uh, we farmed him out and loaned him to Thomas Cackler's church down in, in Cummings. So Aaron is there preaching uh, the message that he practiced. We were like his practice warm-up thing for the big show down with Thomas. And so uh, uh, we are grateful that we have such a great relationship with Pastor Thomas Cackler there at the, the church in Cumming. And, and Aaron, I'm sure, is going to do a fantastic job there. Today I want to talk a little bit about how we are strangers together. We are strangers in this world together. This is our series called Strangers in a Strange Land, and we are strangers as Christians in this thing together. Now, there's all, strangers sometimes have strange beliefs that drive strange behavior. If you were to look in this world around us, you see a lot of strange behaviors that are driven by strange beliefs. Uh, I love some of the commercials that are out there that says it's only, uh, it's not weird if it works and showing all the sports, sports superstitions in this world, you know, whether it's someone eating the same green, ugly food or uh, driving in the exact same way in a car to the game, believing that somehow their strange behavior can uh, modify the outcome of a game. Um, you know, for I, I'm not alone in this. Um, I, had discovered that if I wear Cubs gear during a playoff game, they lose. <laughs> but if I don't wear Cubs gear, they win. But I didn't wear Cubs gear last two nights, and it hasn't worked out so well. So, um, but anyway, yeah, there's a sadness. I'll try to, to continue with that. But uh, anyway, sorry. Stra we're, I don't know what I'm talking about. We're on strange superstition. So Wade Boggs, baseball is filled with strange behavior based on strange belief. Wade Boggs used to eat an entire chicken before every game. There's 162 games in a season. That's a lot of chicken. Um, uh, there are, if you've seen, baseball players don't step on the foul line. You know, when they're coming in and out, they all jump over this, the foul line. It's that superstition. Uh, there is a Braves player. Not, not a, he's not alone in this. There is this belief that if you lick your bat before and at bat, 
you will do this. So this is for Aaron Savage, who loves the Atlanta Braves. There you go. Every single time he licks his bat. That's weird. I think that's weird. Is it not weird? Okay, whatever. Uh, rally caps in baseball. The Cubs have had their hats inside out for a long time. And uh, there was a, a pitcher years ago named Bobo Newsom who believed if he tied his own cleats before a game, he would pitch poorly. So before every start, someone else would tie his cleats for this adult man. Str <laughs> strange belief results in some strange behavior. Now, as we look at this and think about how we're strangers together, it's very interesting that true love, Christ-like, abiding, brotherly love, true love is really a strange behavior in this world. Because the world defines love as let me do what I want. If you love me, the world says, you will let me do what I want to do. And what Peter is going to tell us today is that the this is the exact opposite of love. Love is something that we don't do alone, and love is something we do together. Now, let's look here a little bit at this series on, on 1 Peter and, and where we've been. And so, really, when you, you look at this, how the world defines love, and as we look at this passage in 1 Peter, we, we've seen a lot of interesting things. Peter spends a lot of time in the first chapter of this book looking at the past and saying, as Christians, here is what happens to you. Here is what happened in the past. As a follower of Jesus, these things happen to you. He wants them to know that they are a redeemed people and strangers in a strange land. We looked at in the first week that the word stranger here in 1 Peter, when he calls them strangers, is better translated sojourners. But we don't know what the word sojourner means, so we don't use it. But it means a traveler on a journey who has taken up temporary residence in a land to get to his or her ultimate destination. That's a sojourner. That's how Peter describes us. We're strangers. We're sojourners. And as strangers in a strange land, we are called to live differently. Our lives have been purchased, and we serve a different master than anyone else in this strange land in which we live. We serve our God. And because, as followers of Jesus, we serve a living Father who loves us and redeemed us through the blood of his Son, Jesus, we are in turn to look like Jesus. We are to be holy. So we've reviewed just now the book of 1 Peter up to this point, and we were reminded that Peter is, is writing this letter to Christians who have been ostracized by the culture around them. They have been truly set aside or marked as strangers, as weird, as not part of the mainstream, as not accepted. And what Peter is ultimately doing is saying to us today, you can relate you and I can relate to the audience to whom Peter writes. Our, our strange lives as strangers in a strange land are rooted in our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this faith comes to us through the word of God, through the written and living word of God. So the word of God then in turn becomes our foundation for this obedience. All that's to say, to bring us up to speed, to make this point. 
we are in this thing together. We are strangers together. Together, we must learn to love deeply. We love each other, and we love the world around us. So today I want to talk about love. I want to talk about love. And there's a couple aspects to this love. As followers of Jesus, we are being continually transformed, and this is continuing the grace of Jesus in our lives. What we are going to see here from 1 Peter is he's going to describe what it looks like for us to love together, to be strangers together who love. And he is going to define love for us. We're going to look at this first aspect of love together. In verse 22, he says right away, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. The very first words in this section today that Peter tells us is that we have purified ourselves. Now this might seem strange to you. Because if you understand the gospel, you know there was no purification of ourselves going on in the gospel. We didn't purify ourselves. The the doctrine of justification simply says in the past, Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. His blood was shed on our behalf. His blood covered over the sins that we couldn't cover over ourselves. And so when we talk about justification, there is no purifying ourselves. Jesus did it for us. So what is Peter talking about here? Well, this isn't justification. Peter is, is, is doing something that's very Jewish. And if you remember, Peter was Jewish, so this makes sense. Peter is doing something here is, is that every, he's referencing something that every good Jew would do. They would go regularly to the temple to be purified. It was a reminder that they were set apart as holy and God's chosen people. And it was a ritual cleansing in an ongoing way. I think this is what Peter has in mind here. This, uh, the, the grammar here, and I, I know that you probably don't geek out about Greek grammar the way I do, but um, the, the grammar here, you have purified yourself, points to a past action with present effects. Something happened in the past, he's saying, that has lingering effects today. What Peter is talking about is sanctification. And Aaron talked about this so well last week when we talked about this challenge to be holy Like, God is holy, and what that means. Now, what Peter says here today, and this is very important to understand, this is not about you getting yourself saved, because that's not possible. This is about you becoming more and more like Jesus. In principle, look what the text says, by obeying the truth. So in other words, if you want to look more like Jesus, if you want to be changed, continually purified, made more like him, it comes through obedience. Um, I've always been amazed at the differences in my children. And my, my second child, Kaylin, in particular, I've been, always been amazed by her ability to listen, assimilate instruction, and then be self-disciplined enough to work on that instruction. I have other kids who are like, the only way I'm going to learn is the hard way. And uh, so I don't care what you say. Let me just screw it up and I'll learn from that. Kaylin is the exact opposite. She will listen to you, assimilate that, and then live obediently on that. This started when she was, I don't know how old. When, when did she stop sucking her thumb? 
two, three years old. She was a thumb sucker, and Clarissa just one day turned to her and goes, Kaylin, if you continue to suck your thumb, you're going to move your teeth out of order, and, uh, and you're going to need braces someday. And she, Kaylin looked at her at like two or three years old and goes, okay. And she never sucked her thumb again. Like, it truly amazed me. I'm like, I, you know, I, I'm 43 years old, and I still bite my fingernails. Like, I don't get this. Sorry, don't. Yeah, that's gross. Okay. So anyway, um, but I'm truly amazed by this. Uh, it, it, it's simple. Um, she wanted to go on a missions trip last summer. She wanted to go to Africa. Uh, and so my brother, who works with the Jesus film and, and travels all over the world doing these great things, he walked her through it. He said, here's what you need to do to raise the money. Here's what you need to do to get a prayer team. Here's what you need to do to get people on board so you can do the gospel work that God's put in front of you. And she goes, okay. And she does it. Like, I just, it blows me away. Um, trumpet. She wanted to learn the trumpet. So her band director says, well, back in sixth grade, you should practice every day. So a sixth grader was practicing her trumpet every single day. What sixth grader does that? I was continually amazed by her ability to listen, assimilate, and transform her behavior. And what this did for her is every time she chose, in essence, obedience... It changed her. She listened and assimilated. The more we strive to be obedient to Christ, the more we are transformed. Don't be the kind of person that has to learn the hard way. The word of God is set in front of us for our benefit. Listen and experience and be transformed. Now, The more we strive to be obedient, the more we are transformed. But we are transformed, Peter is going to tell us, for a very specific purpose. We are transformed in order to love. Look what the text says. We are transformed, we're purified, so that by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Through transformation, what Peter is reminding these Christians who have been ostracized by their culture and marked as strangers in a strange land, he is telling them that as a result of obedience and transformation and sanctification, they now love each other. But then he says, it's true that you love each other. Then the text continues. He says, because this is true, now love each other deeply. So, through transformation, you have brotherly love. Now I'm commanding you, Peter says, to do it more deeply. Well, at first, this doesn't make sense. I mean, look, look what the text says. It says, okay, well, you love each other. Uh, you, love, you have love for your brothers, so now love one another deeply. Well, wait, if they already have it, why is he commanding them to do it more? It doesn't make any sense. But there are two different words for love here that are really fascinating. Again, Greek grammar, Dave, geek here coming out. But you need to understand that the first word is what they have. They have what's known as brotherly love. There are different words for love in Greek. It's been well identified. There are at least three words that have different nuances and meaning for love. What Peter is saying to them is first, you have brotherly love. They know they are related in Christ and they love each other as siblings. Then he says, what you need to do now is because you love each other, act on it. If, brotherly, if they have brotherly love, now they need to take that brotherly love and act on it and show love to each other. Agape love, this is the, what they're talking about, 
is this kind of activated love. You have sibling love in Christ. Now act on it. If you have a sibling, you understand why this command is necessary. Because you may love your sibling and have a hard time acting upon it. I think about my brother, uh, Marcus, and I, when we were growing up. He's uh, three years older than I am. And uh, we had a lot of brotherly hate going on, right? Like, there were a lot of crazy things that happened. Um, we loved each other, but we didn't act like it. We fought all the time. I think we probably gave, gave my mom, uh, took a few years off her life through this kind of behavior. But, I mean, I remember very distinctly how my brother loved me. He built a snow fort. He put me in it. He rolled a snowball in front of it, and he got all his friends to collapse me, the snow fort, on top of me. Uh, we had a hat that we didn't find until spring. I'm telling you. Like, uh, I thought I was going to die. He, uh, he mocked me uh, r- regularly because I'm the younger brother, right? He knocked me upside the head and knocked me unconscious once. Um, he used to take me by the feet and drag me around the swimming pool just so my head would go underwater. And then when I was, thought I was going to drown, he'd let me up for a breath, and then he'd pull me back under again. Like uh, the, the original waterboarding, right? That This was my, my brother. I, I remember looking at the lifeguard, like, what, what are you doing? You know, like, save me. Um, but, you know, it, it wasn't just one way. As the, as the younger brother, I, I had my more subtle ways to show my brotherly love towards him. Uh, I, I would regularly throw things at him. I, I was a thrower. You know, you know, jars of jam, cable, remote controls, whatever. I mean, I would regularly hit him upside the head with stuff. Like, I was pretty good at it. Uh, you know, my temper would explode. I knew as a younger brother just how to annoy him. Right? You know, because you younger siblings, you know what I'm talking about. You know how to annoy your older sibling. And you know how to get them in trouble, too. I knew how to do this really well. My brother and I, we had brotherly love, but it seemed that we hated each other. Now, Back then, if you would have said to me, you know, Dave, do you love your brother? As a kid, I'd say, of course I do. He's my brother. You know, and then I'd say, help me sneak into his room now so we can put a brownie in his underwear. Like, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I just never connected, like, all the dots with that. Of course I loved my brother. And you can sort of hear Peter the dad of the church saying, listen, I know you guys love each other. Now act like it. You have been born again. He says it very clearly in the text. Look at verse 23. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living, enduring word of God. We're a family. We've all been born again. If you are a follower of Jesus today, if you believe in the death of resurrection, if through faith in Christ you believe that he died and you and rose again and that through faith you have risen from the dead with him, you have risen to new life. You are born again and you share that in common with every other person that believes that same thing. You're siblings. We're family. The more we're sanctified, the more we actually show that Love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you were to to look at your outlines in your bulletin, you see a circle next to the word love. Right now, just put a plus sign in that circle. Just put a plus sign there. Because what Peter is saying is, if you are going to do love, here's some things that you should add to your life. You need to add action to your brotherly love. There is a stick here 
There is a circling of wagons here. There is a sense here that you and I have each other's backs. And sometimes we need to add this kind of behavior. There is that we add a depth of love. Because let's be honest, sometimes as Christians, we just drive each other crazy. Some of us have come to the point where we're like, I don't need any other Christians. I can go to church three times a month and, you know, wall myself off and do my own thing. Because all that's ever happened to me is, you know, my brothers and sisters seem to, you know, (laughs) kick me in the groin. Like, it just feels like that over and over and over. And you've walled yourself off. And what Peter is saying is, don't do it. Love deeply. It's also a love that protects. We need to watch out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we're adding also a deeper love for Christ, an ever-deepening realization of how much Christ has done for us. Sometimes we say uh, that in church we get tired of hearing the gospel. But we can never, should never grow weary of talking about how, and singing about how Jesus shed his blood for us. Uh, the song we just sang, Jesus paid it all. We owe everything to him. And we should be adding our love for God and others. Because it's our love for God and then it transforms our love for each other. God looked at you and me and he said, I love you. You are worth it. I will give everything for you. When we understand that the love that God has for us, it should drive us to love our siblings in Christ in the same way. If you think back to my relationship with my brother Marcus, our action-oriented love didn't manifest itself until years later. It was years later that we started to realize that, you know, we had each other, like it's just the two of us. And we need to actually act like it. And so when circumstances that were external to us started to create pressure on us, it drove us closer together. Um, I remember when, when our father was getting more sick and more sick and more sick, it actually drove our relationship closer. Um, our visits with each other grew more frequently. Our prayers and phone calls increased. Our encouragement of each other abounded in. I can tell you today, I have the I can't imagine a better brother than I have right now because we have each other's backs. We need to bond together. That's what, as strangers, we're in this thing together. We desperately need each other. We love and we need to add these things to our life to describe our love. Now, this is all driven by an interesting phrase here. He talks about it here in verse 23. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Again, we're back to the original language here, but it's really important to understand that Peter uses different words than we have in our English language. Here he uses the word logos, which is the word that same word that John uses in his gospel to describe Jesus. John says Jesus is the living word of God. It's the word logos. This leads me to believe that our active love for each other is driven by our living Savior. If we love Jesus, then we love each other. 
because you love Jesus and your brother or sister in Christ loves Jesus, that makes us siblings in our new birth. There are enough forces in this world, friends, that are opposed to us. We need each other. As culture shifts, we need each other. As Christianity becomes potentially a minority religion in our country, we need each other. As the word of God increasingly becomes un comes under attack as irrelevant, we need each other. As a culture of tolerance tries to force a wedge, a dividing wedge in the church, we need each other because we are strangers in a strange land together. To use Aaron's words from last week, which I loved, we're a peculiar people. We need each other. Look around you. Just look, look for a second at the person next to you. Just make uncomfortable eye contact with them. All right? That is a stranger just like you. That person is peculiar just like you. Now, some of you can look, yeah, obviously, very peculiar, right? You're all peculiar. We're strangers in a strange land. Life is busy. We can't do this alone. And this is hard because, why is this hard? Because we are frail people. Look what Peter says. Now he reminds us of why loving each other and adding these things through the living word, Jesus, is hard. We're frail. All men, all humanity, they're like grass. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. We are frail. We are prone to error. We are prone to mistakes. We are prone to hurting each other. But we need to add love. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We need to love by adding some things. Now, secondly, Peter is going to flip the script now and say we need to love by adding some things, but now we need to love by subtracting some things from our lives. So go ahead and take a negative sign and put it in that second circle. We need to love by adding, but we need to love by subtracting some things from our life. And the last verse of chapter 1, verse 25, gives us our hint. He says, and this was the word that was preached to you. You won't know this if you're just glossing over the text, but Peter changed the word word. He uses a different word now for the word word. While he'd been talking previously about the logos, the incarnate word Jesus, he now uses the Greek word rhema and starts talking about the written word. We love through, because of, and by the instruction of the written word. If we are to love Christ and love our brothers and sisters in Christ, it makes sense that we would submit to the Bible, the word of God. Interestingly enough, at Waukee Community Church, we love and value this thing. I hold this giant thing up here every week, partially as a, a frequent reminder of how important the Word of God is to us. This is food for our souls. We obey this and strive to obey this. That's who we are. In fact, one of the reasons that the day before our grand opening Sunday, November 19th, we're going to do a 23-hour reading of the Word of God. 
in our new space. Because we want to dedicate our new space by saying we've, one of our values is the word of God. We're going to read the New Testament. Beginning to end out loud. Taking shifts. You can sign up. There's a, in your bulletin, there's instructions how you can sign up for a shift. We love the 2 a.m. people. Go for that. Um, but th- th- we want to do this because we value and love the word of God. And what Peter is now telling us is, if you value and love the word of God, you will obey the word. And here's some things that if you love each other, you're going to eliminate from your life. So look at what the text says. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Eliminate these things from your life. Now you may say, Dave, that doesn't sound like love to me. That sounds like restrictions. That sounds uncomfortable. That like, sounds like you're handcuffing me. And why are you all about the knots all the time, you know? What? Tell me what I should do, not what I shouldn't do. Don't be so restrictive. You may not like this. It doesn't sound like love. And the world might say that to you. This isn't love. Stop, you know, putting me in a corner and make me feel uncomfortable and bad about myself. We need to understand here that the world begins love in the wrong place. The reason that no one wants to be told something they shouldn't do is because the world says love starts with self. If my love starts with me, then why should you tell me what I can't do? Why should the Bible tell me? So the world says things like this. You know, if you're going to love yourself, you, ha- you have to love yourself first if you're going to love anyone else. Have you ever heard someone say that? You got to love yourself first if you're going to love anyone else. Well, that's because where does the world say love starts? Love starts with self. And people constantly talking about positive self-image. Uh, you know, you need a break. You should just think of yourself for a while. I need some me time. Have you ever heard someone say that? It's me time, right? These are things that are driven by what the world values as love. Self. Our love says that is the exact wrong place to start. Our love starts with God, and our love knows who we are in Christ. It's not self-loathing. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. We don't loathe ourselves because we know we're worth an infinite value. God loved us enough to die for us. So it doesn't start with self-loathing. It just starts with God. Self-love is a result, ultimately, of where we start with God's love. Self-love flows out of God's love. If we start with self-love, it results in selfishness. There are some words that describe this kind of selfishness. If you love yourself first, these things will be evident in your life. But if you love God first, you will want to subtract these from your life. And it will affect the way we work and function as brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at these words. The first one's malice. This is the word for the working out of hatred for others. It's the, specifically, the word is defined as the nursing of grudges against specific people or society as a whole. Have you ever nursed a grudge against someone? You should all be saying yes, because we've all done this, right? How could you hurt me? Don't you love me like I love myself? Malice against a person is driven out of love for self. 
Malice against a group or a society is what I think many Christians are tempted to slip into, especially as we feel marginalized by our culture. If you spend any time in politics at all, you might feel marginalized right now. You feel marginalized in our culture. There are a lot of Christians who feel marginalized. And what they tend to do, even unknowingly, is they tend to lash out at a culture or a place. We say things that are intentionally or unintentionally marginalizing in return. I was thinking recently uh, um, about a phrase that I've heard a lot of Christians say. It's, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin. Um, The problem is, if you're the person identified as the sinner in that, all you hear is the word hate. You might as well just cross out everything in there and circle that word because that's all the person who feels like you've defined them as a sinner hears is the word hate. Sometimes we unintentionally use this as a weapon against people who we feel have marginalized us in return. Sometimes it's an act of revenge. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional. But it's an example, I think, and could be of malice. Now, it's just an example There are lots of ways that we actively work out the nursing of a grudge. There are people in my life who have hurt me, who have hurt my family. And I'm just going to be honest. I am one of these guys that has a hard time letting it go. Clarissa knows there have been many nights where she rolls over and she goes, are you still awake? Yes, I'm still awake. Why? Well, honestly, if I'm, I'm so hurt, I just can't let it go. And I know that that person probably has no idea how much they hurt me. But I've nursed a grudge. And inside, down deep, it would probably bring me joy if something bad happened to that person. But really, the reality is all I'm doing is punishing myself. That's malice. And what Peter says is you need to get rid of that in your life. Because that starts with love for self, not love for God. There's another word he says here. Now, Now he says get rid of malice. Now he says get rid of deceit. Uh, A deceit is just simply a devious, treacherous plan to act on the malice in your heart. It's the outworking of love for self. Love for God and others. The person who does this eliminates malice and eliminates the plan to act on your malice. Deceit. To know what true love is, we must utilize the word of God. And that's what this is saying. If you want to root, take out some things in your life like malice, like deceit, like hypocrisy, envy, slander. If you want to remove these things from your life, we have to be anchored in the Word of God. I read an article recently that was given to me by by someone who was clearly just angry at Christians for a lot of reasons. And in this particular author was using the article in a way to say, some Christian along the way has told me that my behavior is not acceptable if I want to be a Christian too. And so this Christian then, person who claims to be a Christian, they were writing in response to this. And they said, the problem with this is these Christians have anchored themselves in the Bible. And this is so restrictive. And then the person attempted to undermine the authority of the Bible. In this article, the person said, the problem with anchoring yourselves in the Bible is everybody has a different interpretation of the Bible. This person said, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. And so in reality, if you say you believe and are trying to obey and anchor, be anchored in the Bible, you're just being anchored in your opinion 
of the Bible. And then the author said this, all we need is Jesus. So what this author is subtly doing is trying to remove the authority of the Bible. I would respond back, well, if all you need is Jesus, I would say, which Jesus? Because you can make Jesus interpret him any way you want. If you don't have an anchor for interpreting who Jesus is, what he came to do, an anchor in the word of God, it's the same problem. If we don't have an authority based on God's word, it undermines everything we believe. Why would we ever eliminate anything from our lives if we didn't have the authority of God's word? Why would we ever? It would be ludicrous. I'm telling you, if we remove the authority of God from our lives, selfishness wins the day because we have nothing to tell us otherwise. The only sort of moral foundation or boundaries that we have, the only way we would know what God asks of us is by what we think. We need to be anchored in the word of God. And what we do then if we're anchored in the word of God, is we ask God to create a craving in our hearts. And this is our last verse that we're covering today. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You may grow up in your salvation. Um, I've always loved watching my kids as infants. Uh, you know, again, that's happened a lot, and I've seen it a lot. But I was always amazed holding an infant. Um, when, when you hold an infant, when a mother holds her infant, and that infant's hungry, you can just watch that baby try to turn its head towards the source of, of the food, you know? Like, there's this constant craning of the neck to try to, to find his mother's milk. He wants his mother's milk. And, of course, uh, I always laughed at that. It always made me laugh to see their little mouth come open and they're just almost like a little baby bird, you know, feed me, feed me, feed me, which always made me laugh when I held the baby and, uh, and, and, you know, he tried to come for my milk, which didn't really work so well. And it just always made me laugh. There's this craving in a newborn baby for life, for sustenance, for food. If you want to pursue Christ-like brotherly action-oriented love, you need to crave this. The, the emphasis in the text is not so much on, on the idea of pure spiritual milk. Um, he, Hebrews uses an example and says, uh, and, and Paul does later, he, they talk about crave, uh, crave, stop craving milk, eat meat. And let's not be confused here. What Peter is emphasizing is not the source of the sustenance. He's emphasizing the craving. We crave in our hearts if we are going to love God. We crave the word of God so that we can know what we need to eliminate from our lives. We crave the word of God. Love learned from the word of God is others oriented and it reflects the goodness of God. Love puts off the self-centered love of the world and focuses on others. How do we do this in the body of Christ? How do we add a deep love for Christ and others and eliminate things that are opposed to that? Well, one of the ways we do this is, is through eliminating selfish actions. 
Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, as a church, we are going to have an opportunity, I pray, in over the next six months to see people who are curious about a new facility walk into our space. Um, and so, and if you're visiting with us here today, just don't listen to me for a second. But uh, if you're part of our family, we have an obligation of love to those people. An obligation of love. Now, if you're like me, uh, what's easy to do is get comfortable. We come to church on Sunday. We see the people we know. Maybe we were in a life group together. We know them well. We connect with them. We stand up at greeting time and we talk to them. And what I have found is amazing is watching what happens when someone new walks into our midst. Sometimes that person is greeted really well. And sometimes that person stands all alone. Now, well, how do we love like Christ? One simple way is that when we stand up and say hello to each other, we go, this isn't about me and who I want to talk to right now. This is about another person and their need to be welcomed in our midst. This is really important. Some of our, our founders and many of the people who founded this church don't even live in our state anymore. God has taken them as missionaries to other parts of the continent. And, uh, and we're so, so grateful for the legacy they left us. But now we need to pick it up and say, are we going to love? Are we going to look with eyes that say, this is not about me. This is about someone who is new here today, feeling welcomed in. Uh, some of you would go, well, Dave, that's easy for you. You're an extrovert. You can just talk to anybody. Um, and I am not an extrovert. I'll just tell you, that is learned behavior on my part. I go on Sundays exhausted. My family can talk to me about that because they can verify that. I'm an introvert. I've learned that I have to care more about other people than myself. Every one of you can learn to do this. Why would you want to? There, I, why, what, what's in it for you? Why would you want to get out of a comfortable place and go look for someone who needs to be loved? The only reason you would want to do that is if you are so convinced of God's love for you and are so convinced that you are called to love others, that you live this out. When we love each other, and when we love together, we end up loving the world around us. We're purifying ourselves by the power and grace of Jesus. And all this is driven by the very last thing Peter has to say right here. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. He is a good God. And our selfless, Christ-like love bonds us together. We're strangers together in this world. And we are on mission for kingdom living because of the great God, great God we serve, and because of his great love for us. And so as we sing our way out today, it is appropriate that we would worship our God who loves us deeply and be motivated by this love to love others. Let's pray. God, thank you for your deep love for us. Thank you that you have made us brothers and sisters and that we're strangers together. Now let us love. Let us love with all the goodness that you have put in our hearts. 
Let us love with the salvation because of the salvation we have. And let us love boldly because of your great love for us. Let us love the world around us. We're strangers together. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we worship the God who loves us deeply?